friends. Welcome to Cool Girls Look at Explosions. This is an action movie podcast where we talk about action movies. My name is Kelly. And hi, I'm Megan. And this week's film is Godzilla from 2014. Our fun little fishy friend, what technically is Godzilla? So I believe he's kind of technically like almost a dinosaur, right? Yeah, he has dino qualities for sure. Yes, he's definitely prehistoric. We know that. And we know that he's an alpha predator as discussed in the film. Whoa. (laughs) Alpha predator sounds redundant. Alpha predator is a really good band name. Yeah, yeah, it is. Actually, copywritten. You can't take it. (laughs) That's ours now. (laughs) We, a group with no musical talent. Well, I think you have a bit of musical talent. I truly have none. I don't know if it's enough to warrant having a band name. (laughs) I want it. (laughs) Our fake band, Alpha Predator. Um, If somebody goes and makes a band, Alpha Predator, we will stand. Yeah, 100%. We'll be right front row at your show. I'll definitely wear a shirt. Um, So I guess the only question I had about Godzilla and his, like, what he is, is while he appears to be a land dinosaur, for some reason he lives underwater. I'm like, do you have gills? Do you have fins? I I don't understand how he swims so well. Um, Yeah, he he has really short little legs, which I can get into later. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It is it is like we don't get a lot of the actual biology. We get like some like what he needs to feed on and like how he kind of came to be, but we don't really get much about yeah, how he's able to breathe underwater is a big mystery. If he stays underwater for that long, wouldn't like little algae and things grow on him? He seems very crisp and clean when he emerges from the sea. It's a mystery. We'll have to fill in the blanks for ourselves. We'll never know. So I do have quite a bit of history on Godzilla. I watched an hour-long YouTube video all about the history of Godzilla today. Damn, I feel like I am slacking on my side because I certainly did not. This is the first Godzilla movie I have ever seen. And as previously discussed, I do I did not know what he was. Um, so (laughs) where I'm like, is he a fish? Um, he's certainly a friend. So hit me with some Godzilla facts. Yeah. So I'm going to do like a very, very shortened version of a very long history of where Godzilla came from. So everything kind of started way back in World War II when the U.S., bombed japan right like the hiroshima and nagasaki bombings and obviously japan was very upset about this and then there was actually a third incident during the cold war where the u.s was testing these nuclear weapons and 23 crew members were on a japanese fishing boat and they were contaminated with nuclear waste and one of them died um and so after that japan became super super anti-nuclear testing And just kind of, like, anti-nuclear, which obviously that makes sense. Like, that's very devastating. And so after that, um, the creator of Godzilla, who is Ishiro Honda, he created 
a monster called Gojira. Um, and basically, he was making like a commentary on all of this nuclear stuff that was going on. So Godzilla's head, if you look at it, it was meant to look like a mushroom cloud in certain shots. And the scales were supposed to look like the burns that were on the victims of that um, attack in the Marshall Islands that I talked about during the Cold War. So he made that. He made this movie. It was a huge hit in Japan. America took it and basically cut 60% of it, dumbed it down, and they, like, censored a lot of the stuff that was going on, which made Jap- Japan even more upset because they were like, you're trying to cover up this horrible thing that you did to us. So that's where, like, Godzilla came from as a thing. Damn. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I would definitely recommend if you're, like, people are listening who are really interested in learning a lot more about Godzilla, there's, like, a whole other... You can go down, like, a big rabbit hole for, like, how every single Godzilla film came to be and all this stuff. But that's kind of, like, the basics of where original Godzilla came from. Or Gojira as, as known in Japan. Do you want to let everyone know the YouTube video you watch so they can look it up and watch it for themselves if they like? Yeah, so if anyone is interested in looking up the actual video that I watched, I'll put it in the show notes. But it's called The History and Evolution of Godzilla on YouTube, um, and the person who made the video, his username, or, I mean, their username, I should say, is Cynical Justin. So it was very interesting, very well researched. Cynical Justin is also a good band name. Maybe his solo DJing career. (laughs) Cynical Justin also is, like, a good stand-up album name. Yeah, that's true. He can open for um, Alpha Predator anytime. Yeah, Cynical Justin, if you're out there, we got you. Let's go on. When COVID's over, we can be a touring show. (laughs) Perfect. Hopefully he's talented. (laughs) (laughs) Well, his video was good. Um, A little info on, like, this movie, too, before we get into specifically this iteration of Godzilla. That I think this is something we can talk about throughout the movie. But this is the director, Gareth Edwards. It is his first, like, big feature film so he only made one movie before this and then the studio gave him godzilla to work on what was his first movie it was called monsters and it was a pretty like low budget indie film that i guess people saw and they really liked it um and that's what gave him godzilla but it's pretty wild and then after this he went on to make rogue one which is one of my favorite of the star wars movies Mm mm-hmm Star Wars counts, right? We can do a Star Wars movie. Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should do Rogue One because I have thoughts. AKA, I love it. And I know a lot of people don't. My boyfriend actually was asking me um, if we were going to do a superhero movie. And I said, yeah, probably. They, they are action movies. And he was saying how he thought that they were their own category and that they were separate from action movies and that I should ask you. But superhero movies are definitely action movies, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think we make our own rules, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was like, no, that definitely counts. And he's like, I don't know. Superheroes are kind of their own little genre. And I was like, of action. Yeah, I mean, Godzilla is like a subset of an action movie. It's just a monster action movie. Godzilla is definitely an action hero. Totally. So yes, this is the 2014 version of Godzilla, not the shitty 1998 version. So 
If you're watching along at home, I apologize in advance if you watched the wrong one. I believe, I have not seen the 1998 version, but I believe this one is much better. I also haven't seen it and don't know anything about it, um, but I heard that the reviews were not great. Yes, I believe they basically made Godzilla into a giant iguana, and they made him sound like a T-Rex from the movie Jurassic Park. Wait. (laughs) I'm instantly intrigued. (laughs) You mean you don't like the Godzilla that sounds like he is a dubstep DJ, like in this version? Oh, I really do like this Godzilla. I'm a big fan. He he has a high bar to surpass if another Godzilla is going to take that crown. Yeah, so this Godzilla that we're at, this is the first movie in Legendary Pictures Monsterverse. So there's this Godzilla, a second Godzilla movie, and Kong Skull, Kong Skull Island. And then there is also Godzilla vs. King Kong, which is coming out. So maybe we'll we'll watch another one of these. Maybe. Shall we jump in? So the movie takes place in Japan, and we begin the film at the Janjura Nuclear Power Facility. And the first actor we see is Brian Cranston. And this movie comes out right after peak Breaking Bad hype. So I think everyone's really excited to see him in this film. He is playing who I assumed was the main character, Joe Brody. And at the beginning, we learn that it is his birthday and his son is trying to make him a sign. And his wife and his son are trying to like set up this cute little morning for him. But he's really worried about something that's happening at the power plant. So he leaves, he's on the phone talking frantically about local seismic activity and how he thinks that the plant should be shut down as a precaution. His wife and him, I guess they work together, hop into the car and they head down to the facility. During the drive, he explains to his wife that she needs to head down right away and check out the seismic activity and check on the radiation. Yeah, and there were a couple of things that I noticed during this scene. So I'm not like a huge, huge Godzilla historian or anything, but I am pretty familiar with Godzilla. And in his kid's room, he has a big poster of what looks like Godzilla, which I thought was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And his son, we later learn his son's name is Ford, also has um, like a tank that Mm -hmm. has a little piece of tape that says Mothra on it. And Mothra is like Mm -hmm. a big Godzilla baddie, does not appear in this movie. Yeah, there were lots of shoutouts in that first scene as they pan across the floor where all of his toys are lying around. There's a lot of symbolism for what comes up later in the film, which is really cool and a nice little sneak peek. Yeah, it's super fun. And what do you think of his job as a nuclear power plant manager? It seems very high stress. Oh, yeah, it seems definitely high stress. And I think that's emphasized by the fact that he's incredibly stressed (laughs) at the very beginning. So we're like, whoa. Yeah, it is very intense. So we arrive over to the power plant, and as we discussed, Joe's wife, Sandra, is going to go down into the reactor. So she heads down there with a team, and basically things start going wrong almost right away. Yeah, so they're looking at this wall of random gauges pointing in random directions with absolutely no labels, looking very concerned, which I thought was a little bit funny. And Joe's superior is saying that it's actually the aftershock from recent Philippine earthquakes and that not to worry and that Joe's theory is ridiculous. 
yeah, and it's all very stressful, and I would not want to do this if I were Sandra, but she seems pretty chill about the whole thing. Definitely, definitely not. Um, But it seems like Sandra is doing all the right things. So as soon as there's any sign of danger, they immediately start running, which is not something most characters do. Normally, True. a few, yeah, a few paces before they they run away, you'll be yelling at the TV saying like, get out of there. What are you doing lingering? Like, this is terrible. No, they spot danger. They immediately start running and they realize that they really need to get out of there. So Joe is basically trying to get to his wife um, and he knows that he needs to get down to the level that they're on to be able to keep the reactor door open so that he makes sure that his wife's able to come through it. So he is like sprinting and all that is going through my mind at this point in time is Brian Cranston and Malcolm in the middle when he's doing like the speed walking. And I'm like, yes. thank God he trained for this. <laughs> <laughs> he's been working his whole life for this moment. Yeah, so he makes it down there, but unfortunately, he gets down and realizes that he needs to close the door to the reactor because if he doesn't, the whole power plant is going to blow, essentially, and his wife has not made it through with the rest of her team. So he closes the door, and maybe three seconds after he closes it, his wife and the team um, show up at the window in the door, and they start talking through the door. It is very tragic. I was not prepared for this. This was horrible to watch. Uh, I didn't realize that we'd be losing her so soon. They really just like axed your heart at the very beginning of this movie. They were pretty ruthless. She takes off her helmet because she knows there's no point of keeping it on anymore. And they're talking to each other through this little window. And a secondary door slowly starts to close. And Joe needs to step back and his wife is just gone she says take care of ford it's horrible it's horrible very very well directed and acted though yeah yeah very good so we cut to ford who is their son and he's at school and the the school's being evacuated and you can see the plant collapsing in the distance so all of his classmates run outside and the the whole school is watching where his parents work being completely ruined. Traumatizing. This is why everyone in the entire world needs to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, probably. And especially Ford. Yeah, definitely Ford. So we get this really dramatic scene and then we suddenly cut to present day and we meet Ford as an adult and he is home with his young son. He has just returned um, from a 14-month deployment in the U.S. Navy. His wife, Elle, who is played by Elizabeth Olsen, and their young son is there who is named Sam. So they're currently in San Francisco, and they've made Ford all these nice little welcome home signs because he's been away for so long, and they, they're reuniting, and it's just a lovely little reunion that is far too short-lived. Yeah, there's a couple things that I love in this scene. One is that they talk about eating cake every night, which I am like, hell yes, I'm a big proponent of dessert every evening, so good for them. And two, this is so weird to me. So as you said, Elle is played by Elizabeth Olsen, and Ford is played by Aaron Taylor Johnson. Do you know what other movie they were in together? No, no, I don't think I've ever seen Ford um, in any other movies. 
So he was in Avengers Age of Ultron. Him and Elizabeth Olsen played twins in that movie. Whoa. <laughs> Uncomfy. Yeah. Well, I guess they're they're just acting. It's much worse. There's um <laughs> <laughs> no, what what I mean, okay, let me let me explain where my where my brain was going with that. So it's much worse. Like all this would be much worse if you played siblings and were actually dating, which happened in oh gosh, um Dexter, the main characters of Dexter, the brother and sister. Oh yeah. Um they they played siblings on the show and they were actually going out in real life, and I thought that that was so, so awkward. Yeah, this is like it was just kind of weird because these this movie and Age of Ultron came out like I think around the same time. So, I thought that was kind of funny and it like immediately struck me when I saw both of them together. I was like, "Oh, you're married now." Okay. But so yes, we got this nice little family reunion. We can see that they're a very happy couple. They have this very cute kid. And not, you know, 24 hours of Ford being home, and he's getting a call that his dad has been arrested in Japan for trespassing into the plant meltdown zone. So Ford immediately needs to pack up and head over to Tokyo to bail his dad out of jail. Now, while they're leaving the prison, I saw that there was like this really dramatic goth kid with his parents, and I was like, damn. <laughs> your parents must be so mad yeah i was like (laughs) i really need to follow what happened like why was this kid in jail he's got like this mo he's like such an emo kid in 2014 i feel like that was pretty bold too i think the emo movement was kind of done by 2014 he's a rebel maybe when he entered when he went into jail it was trendy he just didn't have other clothes (laughs) Maybe he'll be front row at Alpha Predator's show as well. Oh, he is more than welcome. So while they're leaving the prison, um, they head back to Joe's apartment and Ford realizes that all over the walls, there's all these newspaper clippings, you know, the classic like conspiracy theorists walls. Like the only thing we were missing was like little red string sticking from one to another. So there's all these newspaper cutouts and Joe is clearly suffering a nervous breakdown after his wife passed away and has been trying to figure out what actually happened because everything that the government was telling them happened doesn't seem to add up to him. Yeah, so he's full like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, Charlie, with like the little papers and stuff. And Mm -hmm. He's got this theory that, you know, it is not a natural disaster. And my main thought with this was like, okay, I'm watching a movie called called Godzilla. I'm going to go ahead and say that he's right and it was Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what we what we assumed the direction was going. So Ford is having none of it, though. He he wants his dad no. to move on. He doesn't care for his theories. He He's trying to encourage his dad to just come home with him, spend some time with his grandson, forget about all this, and Joe's not having any of it. Yeah, he's like, okay, here's the deal. I have this friend who has a boat that goes through the radiation zone every day. And he dropped some things into the water, so I've been monitoring all of the underground activity again, and I can see that there's something happening here. One of my first thoughts upon hearing this is, like, where did Joe meet this guy? 
Like, did he post on Craigslist? Or how did he find this guy who happens to ride his boat through the contamination zone every day? This really does seem like uh, Craigslist posting. (laughs) Now that you mention (laughs) it, that's probably exactly where they found each other. It's just so specific and random and convenient for him that this guy exists. Yeah, and then he's got, like pictures of bats on the walls <laughs> and he, he's like ford he's like it's sonar echolocation which if it's under the water i feel like bats might not be the best imagery yeah probably like dolphins would be a better choice yeah I whales i think lots of fish use it Funny enough, actually, when I was watching that Godzilla, like, history video, one of the things that Mm -hmm. it mentioned was that there was some, like, iteration of Godzilla that was essentially a combination of, like, a giant gorilla and a whale. And I was like, whoa, I need to see that, uh, that concept drawing, please. (laughs) Mash them together. Yeah, sounds so If anyone out there is artistic, (laughs) please draw (laughs) these creatures together. We'll post it on our Instagram. Oh my god, I would love that. Yeah, so Joe is like, okay, come on, I'm gonna go into the quarantine zone. I need to go get these documents from our old house, and I am don't care that you don't want to come. I'm going. And uh, somehow he's able to convince Ford that that's an okay idea. Ford is like, god damn it, I just want to go home and bang my wife, and I already came and bailed you out of jail, but fine, I'll follow you to our random old house in a radiation zone, and you know, look for your old floppy disk's dad. Yeah, and they get, like, quote-unquote suited up in, like, radiation gear, which is so funny because they just kind of look like they're, like, mechanics and they've, like, duct-taped, you know, the seams of their hands, like, where their gloves go over their hands, and they're really trying to be like, oh, yes, we will be able to survive this supposed radiation with these household things that we have. Yeah, so they're walking through this radiation zone and then immediately realize they're holding some sort of detector. And I guess Joe realizes, oh, there's no radiation here, which you would think, how long has it been? 14 years? You would think that in 14 years, with all of his conspiracy theories, he'd go and check this before this moment. But he realizes, ah, there is no radiation in the air. And rips off his mask and Ford is like, whoa, what the fuck? And then immediately is like, oh, no, okay, I'm going to rip off my mask, too, because my crazy dad did. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, questionable decisions being made at this point in time. But, you know, we're just going to go A little impulsive. Probably could have just left it on just in case. Like, you could have literally just died. But it's fine. They get into their old house, which is just completely overrun with plants and kind of trashed. And Ford goes and finds one of his old little army figures. And his dad, Joe, goes and finds his old floppy disks. Yes, thank God. He finds the floppy disks. And they come outside because they're hearing a lot of commotion. And they can see that there's a bunch of helicopters that are flying back over to the old power plant. And it looks like they're building something. And as they're kind of like watching what's going on over there, a couple of cars pull up and they get captured. So they get arrested again. And or I guess for Joe, it's again. But this time, instead of being brought to jail, he's brought to the old power plant that he worked at. And I'm wondering why he wasn't brought there the first time. 
That's a great question. It's kind of weird to be like, oh, yeah, these people were trespassing. We're going to bring them to the power plant. But I guess maybe there aren't, like, roads that are easily accessible, perhaps, to get out of the radiation zone. I don't know. Yeah, and while they were visiting the home, Joe also got a photo of his wife, and we were able to see the old happy birthday sign that was hanging up there. And I feel like he probably could have worked a little harder to sweet-talk his way out of this and been like, oh, I needed to get a photo of my wife. Like, this is my son. We've been really sad. But he just kind of... Let's them take him away. Yeah. He's just like, I guess we're captured now. You always gotta gotta at least try to talk your way out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's like getting out of a parking ticket or something, right? Just like cry. Yeah, speeding tickets crying normally helps. I did get like a lot of parking tickets in university. Um, like to the point that they towed my car (laughs) and then because it was all on campus, they were like, you need to go pay these or we won't let you write exams. And I was like, oh God, fine. So I went into the spot where you have to pay them. And I was, I was genuinely pretty upset because I didn't want to pay like $400 in parking tickets. You know, I was a student, I was pretty broke Mm -hmm. and, and I did start crying and the woman at the desk felt so bad for me that she like zeroed them out and only made me pay $25. (laughs) Well, that's nice. They probably get students all the time who can't afford these tickets. And uh, one of my university friends, he also had like $500 worth of tickets. And he was convinced he didn't have to pay them because they were on campus. And he's like, they're not real police. And it's kind of like they don't really check. But then after it gets to like that hundreds of dollars range, they're like, oh, no, we're actually going to chase this kid down for it. So if you get a few tickets and you live on campus, you're probably fine. Yeah, because they have no way to actually link your car to you. So, mm-hmm. pro tip. <laughs> Crying and <laughs> never pay for parking on campus <laughs> and try to cry your way out of it. Exactly. Be an alpha predator. <laughs> <laughs> Be an alpha predator. <laughs> That's what Godzilla would want us to do. So, when they get brought back to the plant, Joe and Ford are separated. And so, Joe is being interrogated i would say by a couple of guards and he's like sitting in the room and he just starts giving out all of this information about himself like he's like hey i used to work here my wife died i was here the day that everything happened and i know that there's all these electromagnetic pulses coming through and it's basically the same as the day that the whole thing melted down and he's like giving out this very very specific information And it just so happens that one of the plants, um, I believe he's, like, a director who is Dr. Sirizawa. He, like, is standing on the other side of the two-way glass listening to Joe talk about all of this stuff. And he's like, oh, shit, maybe this guy's right. We didn't realize that it was the same as the day that the whole thing kind of blew up. So he shuts down the whole plant. And how convenient for them. So I'm wondering if after Sandra died, did Joe just never go back to work? Like, why wasn't he also working on this issue at the actual facility? Yeah, I guess they just shut down everything and then Joe kind of went a little off the deep end, right? Because Dr. Sirizawa was clearly working on this issue for those 14 years And Joe was trying to work on it kind of underground, but it seems like it would have been a lot more convenient if they were working on it together. Yeah, 
that does seem like it would have been a little bit easier, but then we wouldn't get this magnificent monster movie. That's true. But has Joe just been unemployed for 14 years? How is he paying for the conspiracist <laughs> bungalow? Maybe he like he like does Uber Eats deliveries on the side or something. Maybe while the guy goes and checks the radiation on the boat, maybe he's also a fisherman. Oh, that'd be fun. That would be fun. So after Sirizawa realizes all of this, they shut down the plant. And essentially what we see is, I don't even know how to describe this thing. There's like this giant, almost arched, crunchy looking thing. Online it's described as a chrysalis. So I'm going to use that word. And apparently this chrysalis has just been feeding off of the plant's reactors for the past 15 years. And that's what's been giving out these weird, like, electromagnetic signals across the city. Yeah, so suddenly they decide that this is a problem. And they decide that they need to electrocute this chrysalis, which probably they should have done immediately when they found it i'm not sure how long you should study a thing before you decide to destroy the thing um but this seems like they waited a little too long yeah they waited literally 15 years so they cut all the power to this thing and then all of a sudden we get a little spooky gooey leg that like pops on out of the chrysalis and it starts going buck wild and knocks over like a bunch of cranes, which that is terrifying. Those things are absolutely huge. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen one like lying down. I've not seen a crane lying down. I've seen a crane in the air. Where have you seen cranes taking a nap? Um, One fell down in my neighborhood like not too long ago, actually. It was pretty crazy. Whoa. It was like, I think it's ended up being like four blocks or something long and we like lost power and stuff it was wild i don't know how i didn't hear about this in like uh, like we talk like every day (laughs) no how how did i miss this like whoa (laughs) well of course it didn't naturally come up maybe it's because (laughs) you lost power that day (laughs) maybe it was it was maybe like a year ago it was it was a little bit ago Next time, I'll think to ask, have any cranes (laughs) fallen in your neighborhood as of late? (laughs) Hey, anything weird happening over there? (laughs) Yeah, any cranes taking a nap? So we get this weird thing coming out of the chrysalis. And as it, like, slowly emerges, we can see that it's some kind of, like, winged insect is the best way that I can describe it. It's very Very gross. gross. It, It looks very gooey. Yeah, so at the very beginning when there's, like, this weird kind of jaggedy, like, rock thing, I was like, oh, this is, like, Godzilla. Godzilla's going to emerge, and this is Godzilla movie, blah, blah, blah. And then you get this weird, like, spindly, gooey leg, and I'm like, nah, that is not Godzilla. So I was not prepared for these other weird creatures to, ha- to appear in the movie. Um, they have the strangest noises like the sound engineering on these creatures is is wild like it's so well done i really like the noises that they make yeah i like it a lot too it really does remind me of dubstep but that's definitely not a bad thing like i think it works a lot for the vibe Mm -hmm. um and it's it's got like its own kind of mysterious thing going on it's very cool 
Yeah, I like its eyes, and I like the creature when it's on its own. Um, we'll jump to it, but this creature, like, just by itself, I liked that as a nemesis. Um, <laughs> so if we want to cut back to Joe and Ford, um, our father-son team, we have Joe is handcuffed um, in a security vehicle, and he's watching helplessly as people are um, dealing with this creature, like, smashing things and and hurling things and people are dying all around him and he's worried about his son yes so he's trying to figure out where his son has gone off to um and essentially there's a lot of scuffles that take place here but Mm -hmm. ford is able to escape he's stuck in a interrogation room as well i believe and he's able to Mm -hmm. get out through a door finally So he starts running, sees the giant creature, and Joe almost dies so many times in this movie. I wrote Mm -hmm. down Joe dies a lot because I kept thinking, like, oh, he's dead. He's dead. Oh, no, he's still alive. Somehow he makes it out of this. I truly had zero fear of Joe dying. Really? Yeah. I was like, it's Brian Cranston. He's the main character. Like, this is his movie. He's going to be, he's the one with all the facts. He's going to explain to them where Godzilla is and, and what's happening. He's going to bust in and take over. He's like the main guy. He's the guy. He's the go-to guy. And then he's not. <laughs> yeah. I knew just from like following a little bit of what happened with the marketing that this movie, they marketed Brian Cranston as like being the lead and he's the guy in the movie. And then I knew that he died. So I think that maybe that's why I kept writing it down. But this whole scuffle scene is I was wildly wild. unprepared. <laughs> I should have warned similar, you. Similar to Sandra dying, also not prepared. So um, the creature knocks a bunch of things over and Joe gets hurt and he is bandaged on a stretcher being taken away and they take Joe and Ford in a military transport. Um, But because of this big fall that Joe has, he does not survive long. Very upsetting. And he tells Ford, you know, just make sure that you're able to take care of your family. Yeah. Which, obviously, he didn't because his dad literally just died. Yeah, and, like, no offense, Joe, but, like, it's kind of your fault that Ford is now involved in all of this. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think he expected this giant, like, weird buggy (laughs) creature. He should have (laughs) known. Why were you only checking underwater? (laughs) Yeah, he was like, it's got to be a giant bat. Like, why didn't he think maybe it's going to be a giant moth? yeah so we then see everyone at the power plant discussing what happened and trying to figure out what to do next so sirizawa and the others turn to ford asking him if he knows anything about what his father was looking into and if he had discovered any information that would help and at this point, I want to discuss a little bit about what was the point of Brian Cranston dying? Like, truly, why wasn't he just <laughs> in the movie the whole time? Because they figure out what he found so quickly afterwards, because Godzilla just shows up, that it's like, if the point of killing him off was that they wouldn't have the answers immediately, which he didn't even have all the answers, he had theories... I really don't see the point of his character dying. 
Yeah, that's a great point. He probably could have remained. And honestly, like, I don't want to be too shady to Aaron Taylor Johnson, but he is so boring. (laughs) His character, and not, it's not his fault altogether. Like, his character is just very vanilla. Yeah. We we stand Brian Cranston. We we liked him being like this raggedy, scuffy, like boots on the ground. He's been the one doing the research for 14 years when no one believed him and they thought he was crazy. He deserved to see Godzilla's little fat legs come out of the sea, stomp on the ground, and this kick-ass battle. He is the robbed goddess of this film. Yeah, and I think something that's very funny, too, when I was reading a couple of other reviews about this movie is people are like, okay, was Brian Cranston just, like, really acting, like, next level unhinged? Or was everyone else in the movie just underacting? And I think that everyone else in the movie was really underacting. Like, I think Brian Cranston has the right energy here, you know? Like, he's putting everything into the character. He's, like screaming when stuff's happening like i just think that he he was really underutilized in this film and once they started shooting test footage and stuff like why wouldn't they just have rewritten it so that joe could remain in the movie in fact the more we talk about this the more i want to know why brian cranston didn't play every single character in this film He could play his own son. He could play his son's wife. He could play (laughs) him in a wig, him in a scale suit, him with bug wings on. I feel like he could handle it. I agree. Ryan Cranston can play literally anyone. Yeah, I'm really upset more than ever (laughs) that that wasn't actually what (laughs) happened in this film because you're completely right. Everyone else felt a little dull in comparison and I didn't, like, I couldn't put my finger on why, but you just saying that everyone else was underacting and he was, like, the one actually acting. Well, yeah, 100%. Yeah, like, I get that this is, like, a darker, more serious action movie, but you're still in an action movie, like, and he was the only one taking it seriously. He, he's the one going to the Kijiji fisherman, checking out <laughs> the water while y'all are, what, twiddling your thumbs looking at a rock for 15 years? Come on. Yeah, just honestly, everyone needs to fucking step their game up and be more like mm-hmm. B-Cranced, more like Joe Brody. Yeah, so congratulations. The best part of this movie died, and I am crushed for a second time (laughs) in the first 20 minutes. I'm sitting on my couch. It's a freaking Sunday night. I think I'm going to go to bed, have, like, lovely dreams after a nice, wholesome film about, like, the sea creature stomping on some stuff. And no, you want to just rip my heart out multiple times, and I just don't appreciate that. Gareth Edwards, we're talking directly to you, because we know you definitely (laughs) listen to this podcast. I'm joking. I love your work. (laughs) Whoa, you backed down so quick. That is not (laughs) Alpha Predator of you. I know. (laughs) I need you to step up your game. You kill Brian Cranston one more time? Are you? No. No, we do not stand. We certainly do not stand. What are we talking about? I don't even even know what happens next after this. I no longer care. (laughs) I turned off the movie. No. (laughs) So... Yeah, we basically get Sarazawa and some U.S. Navy guys who are talking about, you know, we have to find this giant winged creature because it flew away. 
obviously, because it has wings. Amazing observation. Yeah, they call it the MUTO, which is the Massive Unidentified Terrestrial Organism. And then they keep talking about, like, oh, but it's not terrestrial anymore because it flew away. (laughs) Okay. I should have written this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we would only have one actor, so maybe we would have saved money. (laughs) We could have made it for less than $160 I can tell you that. And I guarantee you it would have been acted spectacularly. <laughs> it would have been so spectacular. <laughs> so Sarazawa and I believe Graham is the character name, who is the U.S. Navy task force guy. They are telling, to Fo- telling Ford about this 1954 expedition that essentially woke up Godzilla and that, in fact, the nuclear tests in the 1950s that were the U.S.'s um, action upon Japan were actually attempts to kill Godzilla. So they created Project Monarch, which was meant to secretly study Godzilla and other monsters, which I don't understand why Ford is so chill about all this. He's like, okay, one, like, you're talking to me about monsters, and then you're telling me, like, not only is there one monster, there's multiple Yeah, Ford is not shocked enough, or he's really holding it together. I don't know, internally, if maybe he's freaking out, but on the outside, he looks, like, very calm. He's like, yeah, okay, all right. He's like, this totally makes sense. To be fair, he does disable bombs for a living, so he does have to be pretty emotionless and calm, you know, steady breathing and all that. So maybe he's just like a cold military man, doesn't show emotions. Brian Cranston would be freaking the fuck out. <laughs> Brian Cranston would be screaming. It would be spectacular. Yeah. So all this is to say that they discover that Ford doesn't have much to offer. They're like, you're not shocked by this? You're not You're not surprised? So he gets put on a helicopter, headed back to Hawaii so he can fly home. They're like, this guy does not have the level of drama required to be on this team. And the Navy confirms that the Mudo is headed across the Pacific. So yes. they all decide to head in that direction, trying to get Godzilla to head in the same direction. Yeah, and this plan is so off the wall. They're literally like, okay, so we're going to lure Godzilla out of the ocean where he's been sleeping for, you know, whatever, 50 years. And they didn't even really know about him. They're like, all right, so once we do that, Godzilla will definitely go kill this Mudo. It's like, what? (laughs) You guys literally don't know anything about Godzilla. You couldn't even kill him the first time. Yeah, yeah. This is a very far-fetched plan. And... I'm now upset of how well it works in their favor, not necessarily at the beginning, but the fact that Godzilla even shows up, like, graces them with his presence is very surprising. Yeah, Godzilla should be like, yo, I'm busy, like, (laughs) new phone, who dis? No, I'm not coming to help you motherfuckers again. Yeah, so we are now in Honolulu, and Ford is at the airport waiting to catch a train to his terminal, And this little Japanese boy um, is sitting on the train with him and his parents go to leave the train and they don't bring their kid with them fast enough. So I guess Ford is just like, don't worry, I'll watch your kid. I'll totally meet you back here later. And the parents are freaking out and the train continues away. It's very nice of Ford to help out this small child, at least. 
Yeah, incredibly cute kid. He gives the kid his little toy soldier, which is so generous of him. No offense, there's not a chance in hell I'd be giving away the only toy from my childhood home when both of my parents are dead. I'd be like, you're cute, but this is my toy. Thank you very much. We just <laughs> met. Again, emotionless. Ford has no soul. No, he's he's all business, as always. The Mudo then shows up and attacks um, a Russian sub and has a little snicky snack on some missiles. <laughs> Just some tasty treats. It blows my mind that after they see this, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to give him some more food, but we'll totally detonate it before he he flies away. (laughs) None of this makes any sense. They're like, okay, we had them hooked up to the nuclear thing, and then we realized that they were using that to get more powerful. You know what? We'll just let them eat some more nuclear stuff. Why not? It's all fine. Yeah, they keep luring them with food that also gives them power. And I'm like, that's that's a dangerous game. Yeah, that's a very dangerous game to play for, like, so many reasons. Maybe see if they like other kinds of food that are a little less dangerous. Throw out some pancakes, you know? Yeah, something cheap. So I was debating when I was watching this. I've never been to Hawaii. Have you been to Hawaii before? Um, I have. Oh, I'm jealous. I mean, it was lovely. Is it so expensive to go there because you might see Godzilla or Amuto? That must be it, right? I mean, you'll probably just see, like, old people tanning. Oh, that's which is exciting. <laughs> potentially equally as terrifying. That's true. I went on, like, this all-inclusive trip with my, uh, with my mom once because, I don't know, I think I was... Um, I hadn't seen her in a little while, and my mom's a teacher, so she had March break, and she was like, come on, let's go somewhere, and I was like, sure. And the people we saw on day one, on day seven, or I think we were there for two weeks, on day 14, these people were pure leather. I don't, I don't know how they did it. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it was bad. I was like, you, the, the fact that you're not just burnt to a crisp is crazy. I had that, you know, spray sunblock. Oh, yes. Which no- which normally I'd be a big fan of, but I made the detrimental mistake of not rubbing it in well enough. Oh, so no. I- <laughs> so I had these burns on my arms and legs and just like these random patterns of where the spray mist didn't hit. So I just <laughs> looked insane. <laughs> I one time um, when the seventh Harry Potter book came out. I picked it up, like, the day it came out, and I was going on vacation with one of my friends, and we were going on, like, a little beach vacation thing. And Mm -hmm. so I sat on the beach reading Harry Potter the entire day, and I sat with my legs crossed and the book across my lap. So when I finally got up, like, I'm not even kidding you, I had, like, a book-shaped thigh burn. It was atrocious. (laughs) Worth it. You... I was waiting for you to say that, like, you were waiting in line and got sunburned. And I was like, man, all the book releases were at midnight. I was like, how did you get burned? (laughs) And then I was like, no, wait, you were the crazy child who dressed up and went to the midnight book openings. (laughs) I was a big, uh, big Harry Potter book opening person, I will say. Yeah, definitely same. That's like the one thing my mom would like let us stay awake all night for. My brother was a much faster reader than me. So we'd go and we'd get one book. 
Um, and we, we'd pick it up at like midnight. So it'd be like one or two by the time we'd actually have the book and get home. And then my brother would like stay up all the rest of the night reading it. I'd go to bed and he'd be done so fast that by like the end of the next day, I would get the book and he'd already be done. Now, this is pretty traumatic. So uh, hold on to your hats. And maybe we even cut this out because it's so bad. But my brother was reading the fourth book and I forget what scene it was. But there was a scene he really didn't like. Like, he didn't like what happened in the book. And he ripped out the pages and tore them off and just, like, (gasps) threw them out. I forget what scene it was, man. He hated that part so much. He was like, fuck it. This can't exist in the world anymore. In the fourth (laughs) Harry Potter book? I'm trying to think. There's nothing, like, that egregious that I can think of. Oh, man. I'm going to have to ask my mom. I don't remember. And I feel like maybe I just, like tried to put it out of my mind because I was so rattled by it. Um, but I, I was pretty upset because someone, of course, I get the book. I'm like flipping through, flipping through, and then it, I'm missing a few pages. And I remember that <laughs> because it was just the next day, I like went and got the the pieces and like taped them back together. And my oh mom my was gosh. like, child, this was an expensive book. <laughs> what are you doing? That's intense. Yeah, so... Needless to say, I yeah, I could have handled uh, all the shit that was going down a lot better than Ford. <laughs> you think you'd be even more chill than Ford? I wouldn't be. I'd be the appropriate amount of chill for the situation. Because <laughs> I, too, have lived through trauma. You'd have a little more personality. <laughs> Just a dabble. <laughs> So we get a shot of a little girl, and so she essentially turns and is looking off into the water, and she is on Honolulu and notices that all of the water has been sucked into the ocean. So she kind of is like, Dad, and her dad turns and looks and realizes, like, oh my god, all of the water's been sucked out. That means there is going to be a tsunami. So basically the entire island needs to start running, So they're going as fast as they can to try and get off of the island and get to higher ground. And as soon as we kind of get a moment to relax and see what's actually going on, we realize that the thing that's moving all the water is actually Godzilla. Yeah. So Godzilla exits the water and we see that he goes to fight the Mudo. And this kind of goes along with the train scene. So we're seeing these two different ones come together because the Mudo is attacking the train that Ford is currently on. It's ripping the tracks out. And we see kind of shots of the inside of the train where all the people are rolling around and falling down. We see Ford catching the little boy that he was helping try to get back to his parents. And... Yeah, and the Mudo attacks the train tracks, so he starts trying to rip up the tracks, and passengers are, like, falling to their doom. Ford's able to hold on. He somehow has enough strength, and he grabs the kid before he falls out of the train as well. And while this is going on, Godzilla and the Mudo start fighting. So, very convenient that Godzilla is able to start attacking the Mudo before he can eat our main character, and our main character is a little heroic sidekick here. Yeah, so we get all these really cool shots of looking through the train tracks on the top as an aerial view. And you can kind of see through the slots, like little bits of the Mudo's eye. And you hear 
the little noises it's making in the background and there's a lot of fog from the tsunami going around and you see bits of Godzilla and this battle that you should be able to see so clearly because they're right in front of it. You're still only seeing glimpses of it. Yeah, it's super cool. And Ford is able to escape with the kid as well. And we do see a scene of him bringing the kid to kind of like a camp um, for, you know, everyone in Hawaii. And he brings the kid over and is like trying to get the kid registered. And the kid ends up finding his parents. So we get a nice happy ending to that little side quest we had going on. Mm-hmm. So now we cut back to San Francisco and Elle is asking her and Ford's son to go to bed and her son is actually watching the news where all of this is unraveling on TV. So the whole world now knows that the Mudo and Godzilla exist and at this point Elle realizes for the first time what's happening. Yeah, and she's like, oh, my husband was just in Honolulu. Uh, That does not bode well. (laughs) Yeah, so they then cut to back on the ship where they are tracking the Mudo's path, and they believe that it is heading for San Francisco. So they realize that the only possible reason it could be heading towards San Francisco is because there is a second Mudo chrysalis that they thought was dead, um, but they decide that they probably should go check on this. So they head to the Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Facility in Nevada, and when all the troops arrive there, they discover that the Mudo, who um, they have now realized is female, is gone. And when they open the door, they see that the mountain has completely been blown out and destroyed, and this giant creature ripped its way out and escaped, which somehow people at the facility just didn't hear. Yeah, I don't understand how they didn't notice this giant hole in the back of this, you know, secret nuclear facility that seems to be on lockdown. (laughs) Like, don't they have an alarm? Like, yeah, it really seems like they should have noticed this before. Um, The hole is massive. The sound that this creature would make would be so loud you'd hear it like a city away. Like, it's insane that they had to open the door to discover this, considering there were helicopters over the facility. Um, it, it's crazy that that they want us to believe that this is how they discovered this. But this Mudo, the female one, is much larger than the male one before. Yes, I wrote in my notes that this Mudo is a delicate lady. Yes. And so once they realize that, you know, we have a male Mudo, we have a female Mudo, I wonder what they could want to get together for. Yeah, so they realize that they're really drawn towards each other and they're trying to find one another and that they're sending out mating calls. So I don't know why Godzilla would be inclined to get involved other than the (laughs) fact that he is very pro-abstinent and is like, nah, nah, not on my watch. (laughs) Yeah, it's very odd. I mean, they kind of talk about the fact that like these two creatures are like parasites And Godzilla is very into, like, you know, I guess he's kind of granola. And he's like, no, man, we want the Earth to be able to take care of itself. So that's kind of why he wants to destroy them. But, like, no offense, this kind of just sounds like a love story to me. And Godzilla is really harshing their vibe. I don't know. I'm kind of team Godzilla. I want their vibe to be harsh. They're kind of gross. Whoa. You don't like the weird glowy eggs in the female Mudo? Oh my god, you know I hated that moment more than anything. I hated it (laughs) so much. It was so gross. I hate, like, 
like spider nest with all like the little babies. Ugh. <laughs> so the Project Monarch team is essentially like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bait the creatures together and then we're just going to blow them up because that worked so well when we tried to blow up Godzilla. We'll just do it again. And Sarazawa, who, you know, he's really speaking for the audience here. He's like, listen, why don't we just let Godzilla fight these other two creatures? Because, you know, we already know they're probably not going to be able to be blown up by nuclear power, as discovered earlier in 1950. Yeah, this plan is highly questionable and should not have worked. And we've, we get another shot of Ford. He's finally able to get a hold of Elle, which is nice. And he tells her that she needs to wait for him and he'll be back in San Francisco by the morning. Which, like, I don't know. Like, Ford, what are you doing? You know that this creature is probably going that way. Like, why would you not tell her, like, hey, you need to do whatever you can to be safe? Not like, you need to wait for me, please. Yeah, he should probably say, like, grab our child, run away, like, get out of there. I don't know where safe is, but it can't be the direction that these creatures are heading. Yeah, and somehow Ford, despite having zero personality at all, is able to convince the Master Sergeant to let him help with this new mission that they have, which is essentially that they're going to be the ones to drop off a bomb, which has an analog timer because the Mudos will be able to disable it if it's not analog. And that's going to be the bait. So he wants to help out dropping that bait off the coast of San Francisco to blow up the two Mudos. So the new plan is that they need to put the bait bomb and the killing bomb onto a train and they need to get it over into the coast where they're gonna do this whole plan so everything seems to be doing okay and ford has kind of just like figured out a way to shove himself into this plan so he's helping out the team but then all of a sudden you know They're calling on the radio. They're like, hey, can we go through this tunnel or no? And they're not hearing anything back, which is already a red flag to me, right? Like, if you're radioing someone and they're not responding, I feel like you assume the worst. Yeah, if you're asking someone, should I do this or is it too dangerous? And you hear nothing back, it's like, okay, it's too dangerous. Yeah, clearly. So the team needs to kind of split up to go look on the bridge to determine, like, okay, what's going on? Why aren't we hearing from the other side of the team? And somehow Ford and this other guy that he's with, I don't remember the secondary character's name, they get, like, snuck up on by the Mudo. This giant creature sneaks up on them somehow. Yeah, the female Mudo, who is significantly bigger than the male, somehow sneaks up on them and smashes the bridge, gobbles down one of the nukes, and essentially kills everyone on the train. Somehow Ford escapes because he jumps into the river just as the bridge is falling apart. And then they flash to the morning where a recovery team has gone in and they see that everyone is dead, but... Ford happens to wake up and start stumbling forward and they run and grab him. Um, They put him in the helicopter and they fly him and the remaining nuke um, up. And he's really the only one left who has any sort of bomb training as the, the whole rest of the team is dead. 
We see that the Mudos are both headed to their powwow in San Francisco, and Godzilla is in close pursuit, so we see some boats and helicopters following Godzilla in the water, making sure that he's going to the correct place. I don't know exactly what they would do if he decided to go a different way or or dive down deeper into the water. We don't really have any sort of hint of that. Um, But we see that Ford has now called Elle, who is at the hospital, and um, he again tells her, like, wait for me. And so she decides that she's going to send her son with a coworker who is headed to a bus to get kind of out of the city. Yeah, which, like, is the correct move. You don't wait any longer. But you also, I would go with my son. I guess she's being at the hospital, but currently no one is affected Like, nobody at the hospital is hurt because of these monsters, right? Yeah, for sure. So I feel like at this point, you take your son and you leave. You're like, you know what? I think I'm calling in sick to work today. I got to go. Yeah, and it's not like you can do anything to help fight these monsters anyways. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. she is a nurse, so I understand she wants to help hurt people. But she'd also be able to help hurt people if she goes on the buses with everyone else. Yeah. I don't want to, like, drag her too much because obviously she's doing a good thing by staying. Um, Obviously, she feels like there's a big enough reason to not leave yet. But, like, there's giant deadly creatures. Is there really a a world to save if you stay? I don't know. I'd be packing my bags and grabbing my kid. Yeah. And so the monsters are going to San Francisco. What do you think about that location as, like, your sexy date time? To be honest, I don't even know that much about San Francisco. And with quarantine, like, what is a sexy date? I don't know. I mean, the Golden Gate Bridge is pretty cool. Like, they've got In-N-Out Burger. I think there's, like, there's definitely some upside to San Francisco as, like, your your meetup spot. Okay. Maybe they selected it because they realized and they heard from you that it's a really romantic getaway. Yeah, maybe that should be my new spot. I'm going to recommend to people. They're like, where should I go on vacation? <laughs> like, San Francisco, why not? Yeah, I heard that uh, monsters who could have picked anywhere in the world selected this location. So we see their son Sam get onto this like big yellow school bus, and they're all stuck on the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's like this weird combination of all the school buses, but then there's also military on the bridge. They're kind of not letting the buses go through, which they probably should. Or if they were going to decide you can't go on this bridge, they really should have stopped them before the bridge. Um, Because they're all just kind of stuck there right now. Yeah, it's not the best place to be stuck. Um, The bus driver on Sam's bus, though, is, like, the MVP of this movie. Oh, for sure. Because he's just like, fuck this. (laughs) I am not waiting here for, like, absolutely any reason. Like, he does not care. Yeah, and he's, like, just driving past all these barriers that they put up. He almost hits some people. He's like, fuck it, I'm I'm out. He has the attitude that Elle should have had where he's like, I gots to go. So, yeah, he, good for him. Yeah, he does stop, you know, he doesn't actually hit anyone. But when he sees his opportunity, he's gone. Yeah. So, the Mudos are still coming, and as... Godzilla starts to approach as well and starts kind of coming out of the water. 
the military starts, like, firing all of these missiles at all of the different monsters. But, like, they don't even seem to be aiming. Like, they're firing missiles and hitting the bridge. Like, it is completely all over the place. Yeah, it's madness. And how dare they shoot at Godzilla or even near him when... Like, Godzilla, their whole plan is to have Godzilla ideally take out these monsters. Because we know their bomb plan's terrible. Yeah. No one has a good plan here, except for Sarazawa, I guess. Yeah. So, they decide to implant the bomb with a countdown timer, um, because the Mudo's EMP keeps, like, disabling anything electric in the area. So they are trying to set the timer for when the Mudo attacks. And at this point, the male Mudo is looking for a tasty treat um, to feed his lady Mudo. And he decides, oh, this tasty bomb looks like it would be the perfect gift for my beloved. And he brings the bomb over to her and they kind of like give each other a little Eskimo kiss. And she like delicately takes it from him. And I guess, I'm confused, was that enough? That was enough to get her pregnant? (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah, we don't actually see the Mudos get down and dirty. I assume that they had a little, like, off-screen time, and maybe the director was like, you know, we don't need to see this. But, like, I'm kind of curious. Like, I kind of needed to see it. They, similarly to hummingbirds, just need to, like, touch very briefly. (laughs) They kind of do a little nose nuzzle, and she's like, yep, that's enough. Impregnated. Yeah, her ego is prego. Yeah. So she uh, heads over to Chinatown, tears a bunch of shit up, and decides, like, this is where I'm going to lay my nest, and lays, like, a shit ton of eggs. Yeah, and she basically, like, attaches them to the bomb so that the bomb is able to feed them the nuclear energy. So, it is very gross-looking. So gross-looking. Like, unnecessarily gross-looking. Like, the monsters aren't so gross that they're, like, gross little children should have looked like this. Yeah. And the new plan now, because obviously the monsters have the bomb and they can't just blow up the middle of San Francisco, like, things are just really not going according to plan, is that Ford and a couple other people on a team are going to make this crazy jump, which, like, when was he trained to do this, like, parachute jump? Because he was in the Navy, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm not sure, but it is so friggin' cool. Because, so all of... Oh, yeah, it looks sick. Yeah, so everyone who's parachuting out They have these, like, they have red smoke coming out from, like, something that they've attached to their ankles that's leaving this, like, really dramatic red line as they fall through the sky. And I'm assuming that the parachuters normally do that to alert any planes, but I had never seen that before. Yeah, it's almost like a flare, I think, that they put on their foot. It looks so cool. Like, this is definitely the coolest scene in the whole movie so the plan is essentially that this team is going to parachute into downtown san fran grab the bomb diffuse it and then they want to like 
remove it so that they can get it out of the city because otherwise it's just going to blow up in the middle of San Francisco which is obviously not ideal because there's still some people who are, have not been evacuated from the city. Yeah, their terrible plan unsurprisingly goes poorly and they're like, "Oh, we didn't blow up these creatures out in the water like we wanted to and they immediately brought it to land and hooked it up to all these children and are now just going to spawn." Basically, they do this crazy jump, and while they're flying through the air, we get these, like, really wild, like, kind of up-close shots of just parts of Godzilla, which looks so freaking cool. Like, wow. I feel like every little frame in this could be, like, just put up on your wall as artwork. It looks amazing. Yeah, it looks really cool. Definitely one of the highlights. Um, And this is when we actually also get to see, like, Godzilla is showing up. He's here to fight, and he's not fucking messing around. Like, you now have children. I have an issue with that. And they smack down. Yeah, he's pissed that they got down and dirty, and he... (laughs) He is the alpha frickin' predator, excuse me. Yeah. He's like, there can only be one thick boy in this world, and that is me, Thickzilla. Thickzilla. I'm here to smash. (laughs) Yeah, so this is when we see, like, the actual fight that we've kind of been getting glimpses of here and there um, from afar, through smoke, through train tracks. This is when you actually see them full-sized, like, really throwing down. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of buildings that get blown up. It's just, like, fun to kind of see such a an iconic skyline and city just get, like, absolutely destroyed And I feel like we don't often see San Francisco as a place that is the setting for these kinds of movies. Like, it's usually, like, you know, New York, or, like, we watched a lot that were in Europe, so it's kind of cool to see somewhere different. Yeah, I love seeing new cities getting destroyed. (laughs) Sounds morbid as hell. (laughs) So, Godzilla's doing a really good job fighting the smaller male winged Mudo, um, and he's holding his own, and then the female suddenly sees that her man is getting tossed around, and so she leaves her children to go tag team this fishy man. So now with both of them fighting Godzilla, Godzilla's all of a sudden not doing so well. While this is all happening, Ford has landed on the ground with the other parachuters, And he notices that there's all these eggs. So while everyone else has run away with the bomb, he's like, no, I should actually probably do something about this or we're going to have a way bigger problem. So he stays behind. He gets some gasoline and he just torches the place, blowing up all of these eggs that are attached to this bomb. Low key, I kind of didn't want him to blow up the eggs because I kind of wanted to see what the little baby Mudos were going to look like. No, that would have been that would have been awful. <laughs> no, no. With all them scurrying around, that would have been terrible. There's just no way they could have won. They couldn't. They just couldn't have won. The fact that the other people left after seeing that, I was like, your judgment is questionable. You should have for sure had a powwow and been like, hey, someone needs to take care of this. Yeah, and luckily Ford does, like, the first thing he's done right, other than saving that small child in the whole movie, blows up all the eggs. And when he does it, we get the most intense scream from the female Mudo. She is so pissed, and she comes back to where the nest was, 
and it's like a very tense moment. She's looking around and you can kind of see that she has spotted Ford and you know, at this point, I'm like, listen, we lost Brian Cranston right at the beginning. Nobody is safe. <laughs> Maybe he's just about to get eaten here. But no, our pal Godzilla, he gets in there and he starts fucking that Mudo up. Yeah, so now that the female Mudo has left, it's more of a fair fight. And Godzilla just destroys the male one. He takes his long spiky tail and knocks the, the male Mudo into a building, demolishing it. Then um, he runs up to the female Mudo, grabs her mouth, like looks into it. <laughs> he breathes like this. I don't even know what like fire. Is he a dragon? What is happening? This like giant blue <laughs> like radiant electric beam into her mouth. So he's like ripped her mouth open and is just like shooting this down her throat. And it burns her throat so much that the rest of her body falls off and he's just holding this head and he just like chucks it to the side and is like, I'm fucking done with this. Yeah, he just yeets her away. It's wild. Yeah, he just (laughs) chucks the head. But yeah, Godzilla, he's the real hero here. Yeah, yeah. He woke up from his long nap, decided to fuck some shit up, destroy some buildings. And he's like, man, I am tired. Now, while he is destroying the female Mudo, they realize we still have this giant bomb and Ford needs to do something about it. Yeah, I mean, does he need to? Yeah. He just wants to. He has a hero complex. Now, he could have put this bomb onto the ship because it had an auto drive mode and just like let it go off into the sea without him on the boat. But he decides that he's going to stay on the boat. He's really exhausted. He's been fighting monsters, blowing things up. The explosion that he set off to destroy all the eggs really chucked him. So he's pretty tired and beaten up. And so he kind of passes out on the ground on the boat. Yeah, and the boat is just kind of like slowly floating away with the bomb, which has not been deactivated still on it but luckily some helicopter friends come and grab ford out of the boat and pull him away to safety so this whole time the only reason ford is here is he's a bomb specialist and he can disable the bomb and he's the only bomb disabler left and he can disable it in 60 seconds the fact that he does not disable the bomb (laughs) is unbelievable. I cannot believe that they didn't give him the scene of disabling the bomb and this helicopter doesn't get down there. They should have had a guy like slap him awake and be like, you're our only hope, man. You got, (laughs) you're the only one who can do it. You got, you got to disable this bomb, throw him at the bomb and have him heroically disable it. But no, they just hook him up to a strap fly him away, the boat goes out and explodes, which is still a huge issue. Like, it's a radioactive bomb. Yeah, they've been talking so much about how, like, oh, we can't do this because we're going to blow it up and it's going to be too close to San Francisco. And, like, the boat is not that far from the coast. No, at all. He completely failed. still very close to the city. Yeah. I kept thinking when he was, like, he's lying in the boat with his face up, like, looking into the sun, I just kept thinking it was going to be like in The Lion King (laughs) where Simba sees his dad and he's like, son, like you need to get up. (laughs) 
and we were going to get, like, Brian Cranston in the clouds, but it never happened, Son, which is a bummer. get a personality. <laughs> Do something for once. <laughs> I feel like everyone else who watched this movie was like, man, Ford's such a hero. He does so much. And we're like, what have you done? What did you do? Okay. While I say that, he did kill all the babies. So that was nice. That was nice. That was his, that was the best part. He killed all the babies and he saved the little kid in Hawaii. Yeah, the kid probably, the kid probably would have been fine. Like if he didn't help the kid, someone else on the train would have been like, here's a missing child. I will also help it. So we get a little wrap up after that. So Godzilla basically just like has passed out in the middle of San Francisco also. He's just like dead. Not really, but he just like collapses. You know, he's like me after I have a couple too many drinks and he's immovable. <laughs> he's been napping for like fi- for how many years? 15 years? 50 years? Did you see how much work he had to do today? He had to walk on land. Imagine being like a fish. Which he's not, but for whatever reason, we've decided that he lives underwater and swims around somehow. You weigh a lot less. Him just needing to lift up his little legs and, like, stomp around must have been absolutely exhausting. Yeah, and, like, I don't want to, like, body shame Godzilla. Because, you know, every Godzilla is beautiful. But he doesn't look like he does that much cardio, so I think he's probably just a little tired. Like, this is a lot of effort. He just swam from Tokyo to America. If that is not cardio. Anyways, Godzilla needs a nap, so he takes one. So Ford goes over to this, like, stadium, which is somehow in pristine condition. Like, the entire city has been decimated to the point where they have search crews, like, digging through rubble to find people. Yet this stadium looks completely, like, perfect. I feel like it's the one place that they were like, oh, this is the largest building that's still standing, so this is going to be where we all meet. So, obviously, during all of this, lots of people have been separated, everything's destroyed, nobody knows where their family is, so they're trying to reunite people in one place, and this stadium is that place. So he goes there... Uh, he finds his son, Sam, and then shortly after that, they find Elle. Yeah, what a twist if Elle had died, though. Oh, man. Too many too many characters. Too many characters. And so they get reunited, and then the movie basically ends with Sarazawa. He's just, like, standing, kind of looking at Zilla. And then all of a sudden, Godzilla just, like snorts himself awake as we have all done before you know you snore a little too loudly and wake yourself up and uh he pops on up and just carries himself back into the ocean yeah he just walks on back and goes for a little swim back to sleep yeah what a day for godzilla he's sent a message to any creatures trying to fuck like not on my watch do not make me wake up again yeah this is what they should be showing in those, like, celibacy classes in high school if you go to a Catholic school. <laughs> a giant sea creature will come and fight you. Overall, it was a pretty fun movie, though. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be really derpy, and it was actually, like, serious and really dramatic, and the lighting and the music and, like, all the scenes. They, it was really, really well done, and I just didn't see it coming. Yeah, I do have uh, a little segment 
that I've created if you're interested. I, I, I'd say that it sounds pretty interesting so far. You know, this movie had a lot of focus on the sexy time between the two insects. And in a couple of our other podcasts, I've talked a lot about fan fictions and how I think they're hilarious. And I was like, wow, this movie has a lot of weird stuff going on. I'm sure there's some weird fan fictions out there. So I went online and I pulled a couple of titles of fan fictions. So I would like to read them to you. I have four here. And I have written one of them. The other three are real fan fictions. Now, how, like, okay, one, is Godzilla sexy? Like, what, like, what is this fan fiction about? <laughs> like, is it about Ford or is it like this is a Godzilla fan fiction? There's a sexy lady Godzilla or maybe another male Godzilla and... Uh, I I don't know. Is this like pure Godzilla is getting it on fanfic? I don't understand. (laughs) So the ones that I pulled, they all are Godzilla mixed with either another character. And like, it could be a story about Godzilla and specifically another character. And like, I'll kind of give you a small description Mm -hmm. if that's the case. Or it's going to be Godzilla and like a weird completely unrelated crossover so like you know you know how they called the avengers like the most ambitious crossover of all time like i would argue that these fan fictions would be better than that i'm so excited okay hit me with them okay so the first godzilla fan fiction so remember i'm gonna give you four and you just need to tell me which one you think was fake okay so, the title of the first Godzilla fan fiction is Rise of Godzilla, and this fan fiction features a storyline where Serizawa falls in love with Godzilla. Oh, that's for sure real. Fan fiction number two is called This World Doesn't Belong to Us, No Kidding, and this is a Godzilla and Buffy the Vampire Slayer crossover. Um, I have a much harder time seeing someone think, oh, so wait, (laughs) um, is there a snippet from this? Is it a love story with Buffy and Godzilla? Doesn't she slay monsters? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to pull actual, like writings from it because I didn't want to have to reach out to the people who wrote them basically. <laughs> but I did read this one or parts of it, and they're not like romantically involved, Buffy and Godzilla, they, but they exist in the same universe. They seem to be enemies. They they would be enemies, right? <laughs> now now are you saying, oh, I read it, oh, it was this length, but I have nothing to tell you because it's the fake one. Okay, continue. Because you like Buffy. And that's a really weird crossover. I do like Buffy. Okay. It is a very weird crossover. You know what? I'm even, I'm Um, so confident I'm deleting number one. That one's real. Okay. (laughs) Number three. This one is called Muto. And so it is a crossover between Godzilla and specifically the Muto characters and Pokemon, the movie. Oh, like Mewtwo? Are they trying to do a play on words? Yeah. Yes. So, sorry, what's it called? Mewtwo? Mewtwo. Because Mewtwo is just 
Like, they didn't mash the words together enough. It just sounds like Mudo. But it's spelled M-E-W. Muto. Toe. Now, dash T. I did see the Mewtwo video in theaters, and I got the Mew card from it. Oh, yes. I got one of those, too. Yeah, it was sweet. I went to a club once, and it got stolen out of my bag. Also, my iPhone got stolen, but the main thing I was mad about was my Mew card. It was really fucking annoying. Yeah, Phil's in Waterloo. <laughs> oh, yeah, Phil's. Um, so our fourth fan fiction. This is the last one. It's called Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Father of Dragons. And this is a crossover between you know one of our faves, Jon Snow, and Godzilla, and it's all about their friendship. Now, this seems like a much more natural pairing. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? This Godzilla and Jon Snow. Yeah, this just seems like it would go together. This seems real to me. I can see someone, I can see this being real. And if it's not, is, is the actual, is the twist that these are actually all you and you have been a Godzilla fanfic writer for the past four years or... F- 10 years and this is just how you're telling me you can find me under my pen name alpha predator on <laughs> fanfiction.net <laughs> joking i don't know if that person exists and i do not write fanfiction okay <laughs> so i have narrowed it down to muto and the world doesn't belong to us oh am i allowed to ask is it one of these two because i've fully ruled out the other ones I will confirm it is one of those two. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Okay, shit. I'm going to go with the world doesn't belong to us. No kidding. The Buffy, the Vampire Slayer crossover. That is a real crossover. God damn it. (laughs) I made up Muto, the Pokemon Godzilla crossover. I'm so crushed. Uh, That one just seemed like the most bizarre people to pair (laughs) together. And you actually like Buffy. And Muto was actually a good name. And not to say you couldn't come up with a good one, but Godzilla is like this weird (laughs) creature thing that just kind of seems like a Pokemon. Damn it. I'm so mad. I was was torn between making one that was... um, like that Muto one, or I was going to try and come up with something that had to do with Harry Potter. Harry Potter would have also been good if, I mean, he does breathe fire. So I think it's fire. It's some sort of blue stuff. Yeah. Okay. This was a fun segment. I, I guess we can't just pull lines from it, but I like this segment. I hope this segment continues. Um, I look forward to reading the Godzilla Jon Snow one. Feel free to send that to me. I've never, <laughs> now, I've never actually read fanfic. Is it um, good? <laughs> um, it's, uh, that's debatable. There are some that I think are actually quite good, but I didn't really read this one. Um, I didn't read a lot of it, so I can't really comment on the quality, but there are definitely some fan fictions that are quite quite good. Well, I think this was a very successful watch. Um, I think that being new to the Godzilla universe, 
It's very exciting to actually fully see a movie and like it and maybe I'll watch one of these another time. Yeah, I'm kind of interested to watch the King Kong one, actually. Yeah, I mean, I guess we haven't decided what are we watching next week. I think we briefly discussed if we wanted to do the Power Rangers, the newest movie. I think it was 2017, but I'll confirm the actual year right now. Yeah, I'm all in. I was obsessed with the pink Power Ranger when I was little, which is not a unique quality to have growing up in the 90s. Um, we would play the Power Rangers at recess. It was cool as hell. I remember I was at a toy store or my mom like tells me a story of when I was being a brat at a toy store when I was little and I really wanted the pink Power Ranger and she was like, no, you can't have it because you're behaving terribly. And I didn't get it and I was crushed. And I think my behavior, I was like, I must be better. (laughs) It worked flawlessly. But yeah, I think maybe we'll try out the new Power Rangers from 2017. I think I have actually watched this movie, but I could not tell you anything about it. But I do know Brian Cranston is in this movie as well. Unbelievable. I swear to God, if he doesn't have a more starring role, I will be fuming. If he dies, I will also <laughs> be fuming. I'll just be such a sad little Canadian girl missing Brian Cranston from my screen and all of his acting glory and dramatic faces. So. Let's do that for next week. If you would like to check us out, which if you're still here, I'm pretty confident you might. Um, <laughs> immediately it becomes less confident. <laughs> check out our Instagram and Twitter at Explosions Pod. You can shoot us a message. If you have a movie recommendation, hit us up. Um, we do go through the plot pretty thoroughly, as you've heard, so you can watch it. You don't have to watch it. You can just joke around with us. If you're doing something in the background, we'd love to bring a little joy to your home or a little sadness, depending on where the, where the movie goes. Yeah. Yeah. This one was a little bit more sad than usual, but still very fun to talk about. And if you're interested in hearing us talk about other silly things feel free to check out our other podcast called nathan for us a nathan for you podcast that one is all about the tv show nathan for you and uh it is pretty silly but we have a lot of fun yeah if you like our random tangents that's probably the place for you yeah and please remember to rate and review us if you're on apple podcasts it really helps us to you know, get more eyes onto the pod so that more people can hear about all of our dumb takes on fun popcorn movies. And I think that's all we've got for today. So thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.